0: If you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Alan Collins, and I'm joined by my colleague, Robert Hurling. Hi, Rob. Morning, Alan. And we are going to be discussing personal injury trusts. So, Rob, could I get you to explain to us, please, what a personal injury trust is?
1: Uh, yes, Alan. So a personal injury trust is a specific type of trust which enables somebody who's suffered a personal injury to place their compensation within a trust. And what that does really is to ring fence it from their own personal savings, so that it's own its own entity, while at the same time being part of their own funds.
0: Okay. And why would they need a personal injury trust, When? why would they want one?
1: It depends on the client's individual circumstances. So the typical client who would benefit from a personal injury trust would be one who is receiving means-tested benefits and they're about to receive a sum of compensation, which would take them above the capital threshold for means testing. What that would mean is that if they received a compensation payment, say of, for example, twenty thousand pounds and they were on means tested benefits this would take them above the maximum threshold for claiming means tested benefits which is six thousand pounds in savings so they would lose their entitlement to benefits
0: and of course so they would declare wouldn't they but they were receiving this compensation monies and when they declare it to the dwp or whoever that's when the benefits they were receiving stopped that's
1: right yeah. yeah, exactly. So they come to an end quite quickly, usually. And when that when that happens, and it, it doesn't a client can't go back to claiming benefits again until they've gone back below that £6,000 threshold. But putting money into a person into trust enables them to ring fence that for means tested benefits so that it's not regarded at all. So it's as if it doesn't exist. So they're just assessed on the amount of money they hold in their own personal accounts, rather than in the trust account.
0: Okay, so... Person gets their compensation. Good, you know, compensation is extremely important. Compensation is designed to try and put the person back into the position they were in prior to the injury. In very simple terms, right. and then yeah. to get have their benefits stopped, that could be disastrous because it could defeat everything that they have been fighting for in order to get the compensation in the first place. That's so, right. Yes. So the person in trust is person injury trust is basically a vehicle that helps ring fence that compensation because the person is still entitled legally to their benefits that's correct
1: yeah so it it doesn't erode the compensation at all, not putting it into a personal injury trust, in effect, really sort of reduces the benefit of having the compensation in the first place, because you you come away from access to the benefit system, then rely solely on your compensation until that runs out, and then you go back then to the benefit system. So, as you say, all the sort of hard work that's done in getting compensation is is more or less taken away.
0: So, how would a personal injury trust work?
1: Well, it's quite straightforward, really. So, if somebody receives some compensation first of all they do get what's known as the 52-week disregard so that's 52 weeks where someone can deal with their compensation without it being taken into consideration. So it enables people to set up an arrangement whereby they can put it into trust and they don't have to do it in a rush. So the first 52 weeks, it doesn't exist from the benefits perspective. So within that period of time, what the client could do is to ask someone like me to um, draft a person to trust for them. And once it's done, A bank account is opened which is a specific trust account in which the money goes that's sort of the basic mechanics of it there are sort of further bits of information that are needed for drafting the trust and that would include identifying someone who can act with the client if that's appropriate as their co-trustee and also they would then be the person who shares the bank account with them as as a trust account
0: so that sounds a little bit complicated so Probably isn't, um, but it sounds a (laughs) little bit complicated. So, the injured person they have to have a trustee or trustees. Yeah. And these trustees or should be people that they know or they should be professional people or does it make a difference? How does it work?
1: So in terms of the trustees, in different circumstances, different types of trustees are appropriate. So if we take the sort of example I gave earlier of someone who receives a £20,000 payment for a personal injury and they have mental capacity, they can make decisions as to what to do with their finances. They're the sort of people who I would suggest would be better off having somebody to act as their trustee with them, such as a family member or a close friend, someone that they trust, because in those circumstances, there would be no cost involved in having a trustee appointed. Where there's a client who has a large compensation payment, who's going to require a lot of management in terms of investment, more considerations around spending, such as employing carers and so on then it becomes more appropriate then to have a professional trustee act alongside so that would be a situation such as where a solicitor would act with them or on their own. There's a sort of a third situation where a child is in receipt of um, compensation for a personal injury and that's quite different in that the court would require one of the trustees to be a professional and the court would need to approve the trustee before payment is made and they'd only approve that trust if one of them is a professional trustee.
0: Okay so some people because of their injuries ha- would have difficulty in managing their own affairs anyway so who would go about setting up the trust for them in those circumstances? If it was
1: somebody who was perfectly able of functioning on a day-to-day basis they manage their own finances and they had no issue with dealing with banking arrangements and so on then that would be for the client to manage so what would happen is the trust would be drafted by a solicitor it would then be signed by the client and their co-trustee and then they would then take the trust deed to a bank to open a trust bank account so it'd be something which the client would be able to do if they're used to dealing with their own day-to-day finances you have a client that is a bit more vulnerable or doesn't really understand so much about their finances or if you have a larger trust arrangement then it's something which a solicitor would be able to deal with as long as they're acting as a co-trustee
0: okay and what about children because children do not have the legal capacity to create trust. So would it be up to the parents to deal with this, or how would that work for a youngster?
1: With a child, because it would be necessary to have a professional trustee appointed, then it would be down to the professional trustee to deal with all the banking arrangements. So where you have a solicitor acting as a professional trustee, they would deal with all of the arrangements in-house and the parent wouldn't have to do anything in relation to the opening of an account. Quite often, the parent would be a co-trustee with a professional trustee, so they would need to have some limited involvement, such as signing account opening forms and providing their identification to the bank. But other than that, most of the day to day sort of opening work would be done by the solicitor.
0: Okay, and this presumably comes at some kind of
1: cost. Yes. So when you have a professional trustee appointed, they will charge to manage the trust, they will charge at their usual hourly rate. When that is the case, what I would expect to happen in the course of the litigation is for provision to be made for running of the trust costs. So in the litigation, I'd expect there to be a head of loss, which is the management of the trust, and for those fees then to be covered by a sum of some sort from the defendant, so that there isn't a loss overall to the client for the provision of the professional trustee.
0: So, The client, as part of his or her claim, will have claimed in advance to the cost, of having one of these trusts so it's That's not right. much a case of get the money in on one hand and it all goes out on the other so to speak.
1: That's right yeah so ideally if the litigator knows that the client won't be able to deal with the money themselves or if they have a, a, a child claimant then they would need to engage a trust solicitor early on in the claim and Potentially ask for an estimate of costs or for a statement to be provided in litigation so that there can be some provision in the schedule of loss for the cost of the trust management.
0: Okay, And so when should one of these personal injury trusts be set up?
1: If you're talking about a client who has just received some money, say, for example, the £20,000 example, and they're just wanting to place it into a trust, which I manage themselves, then it can be set up any time within 52 weeks of the first compensation payment. First compensation payment is important because the client can receive more than one payment from the defendant. So, if they receive an interim payment, the clock starts running from the date of the first interim payment. So, that's when the 52 weeks start to count down. Anytime within those 52 weeks, the client can open a trust account and deal with uh, the trust management. But if it goes beyond that, then they will potentially lose their right to means tested benefits. So, it's very important to deal with it within that window. Where you have a larger claim and you're likely to have a professional trustee involved then really it can a, a professional trustee can be involved once the first interim payment has been received to manage that properly
0: at the end of the day the injured person may say hang on a minute this is my compensation money and I'm handing it over it's my money what do we say to them when they say that because they may be feeling that they're losing control
1: Yes, that's right. And you do get some clients who, who question that. The kind of trusts which are set up usually for person's trusts are trusts known as bear trusts. And these are trusts which can be broken up anytime by the client. The client is the sole beneficiary and it really is 100% their money. The trust doesn't have its own entity as such for taxation purposes. All the income is taxed on the client's own individual basis. So it's just a way to put what is yours to one side, but it's still remaining 100% yours. And there's no question about it being managed by someone else. Therefore, it isn't entirely your money. When it comes to a child's trust, that is not quite so easy to break, although the child still, re- still remains the person entitled to 100% of the compensation
0: but presumably at 18 if the child has capacity they could say I don't want this trust anymore transfer the money into my thank you
1: yeah that's correct if if there was any issue before the child turns 18 then you'd need to go back to court to get approval for any changes to be made but after they've reached 18 in most cases they would then have the ability to just say I would like the money thank you
0: and in the case of an adult, assuming that they've got capacity, they can say, I've had enough of this trust, end of. That's
1: right. Although they have to sort of be aware of the circumstances. So if they get fed up with the trust arrangement, then they can call for the funds to be transferred out of the trust and the trust brought to an end. But they should just bear in mind that that might affect their entitlement to means tested benefits and they could end up being worse off without it.
0: Yeah. But that's it, at the end of the day, their
1: choice. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay thanks for that Rob very interesting. Do you have a final piece of advice for anyone out there who is thinking "Mm, personal injury trusts what do I do?
1: Yes I think if you are in the process of making a claim and you realise that you're going to get a sum of money it would always be helpful to have a chat with a solicitor who deals with personal injury trusts to work out whether the it's a benefit to you to put one of these trusts in place. Even if it's likely not to be, I would still suggest having a chat, which would cost absolutely nothing, just to go through your financial details and to work out if there might be some sort of benefit either now or potentially in the future if you may want to claim benefits in the longer term. It's just worthwhile having a chat.
0: Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you, listeners. And as always, if you have an idea for us to discuss on a podcast, then please do get in touch and we will see what we can do. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you email us at about abuse at hjtalks.co.uk.